Welcome to The Wisdom Show, a gathering place for the world's leading experts in the fields of human potential, spirituality, personal development, health, relationships, and more. Join us as we evolve together to the highest expression of our lives. And now, your host, Gene Swan. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Happy New Year. This is our first show of 2013. And what better way to start the year than learning to meditate or restarting your meditation practice? I'm so excited about our guest today and the topic of meditation because of all the spiritual practices and self-help methods we can use, meditation is at the core of all of them. We can tap into our inner guidance. We can find our own personal answers. We can really tune into what's true for us. And our guest, Sarah McLean, is going to show us it's easier than you think. Sarah McLean is known as the face of contemporary meditation. She's the author of soul-centered transform your life in eight weeks with meditation she was the founding director of deepak chopra's mind body health center sarah has worked with some of the pioneers in the world of self-awareness like byron katie and gary zukoff she is now director of the mclean meditation institute in sedona arizona and on top of all of that sarah has spent much of her life exploring the world's spiritual and mystic traditions and she's going to tell us about that today and also guide us through a meditation for us to experience during this hour so welcome sarah mclean thanks so much for being here and getting us all ready to improve our meditation practice in the new year thank you for having me on your show it's a great pleasure to be here i love to teach meditation and we'll do a a speed class today because normally the classes i teach are Closer to three hours, but we will definitely give your listeners a a jump start into their practice or even just a refresher for those who already have a pretty successful meditation practice. Fantastic. And we'll also be giving everyone an opportunity to go further into your teaching, Sarah, with a special offer we'll talk about later on in the program. So people who really want to spend a lot of time and go deeper with you into your teachings will have the opportunity to do that. So, Sarah, let's start with your amazing journey first, because it's like a fantasy for spiritual seekers. You've lived in an ashram. I mean, it's like anyone who's had a spiritual search would just really admire the fact that you lived in an ashram in India. You bicycle through Pakistan. What is it that led you on this spiritual journey that you've been on most of your life? Well, I can say that, yeah, I definitely did a little more eat, Pray Love than was in that book, Eat, Pray, Love. I, <laughs> I, for me, it was really, um, a, I think I was dis, I had some discomfort with the way things li- were laid out for me in terms of my future as a young woman. I, I didn't really uh, drink the Kool-Aid. I didn't really understand what the pursuit of happiness, um, how how getting a job, getting married, having children was going to make me happy. And it was what everybody around me was doing. I grew up in a suburb outside of Boston, very affluent, very, um, you know, traditional. And I did not really go for what everybody was going for. So for very many years, I was definitely on a road less traveled and considered, I was considered weird. I definitely was. I was considered unusual. I didn't have spiritual parents. I didn't have people I could talk to about my spiritual path. It was really a longing of my heart. And I know a lot of people come to meditation for a variety of reasons. Some people come because they're sick or they don't like the way their life is going or their, you know, their lives have been shaken up with a divorce or a death. And some people, if they're very lucky, are born with this 
desire to to step into the mystic tradition, to step into a tradition where they understand they're searching for their soul, they're wanting to realize what the nature of reality is, they're trying to figure out who they really are outside of the degrees and and their age and where they live and how much money they make and who they're married to and how many kids they have. And, you know, there are those people that are born with that with that desire, and that's what I was born with. You know, it definitely led me down some wrong paths, but uh, once I got on this path, it was it's very clear to me now what what was unfolding. But at the time, it was, <laughs> as some people say, hell in the hallway. I didn't know <laughs> why I couldn't conform. I didn't know why, um, you know, what what seemed to satisfy my friends and, and other family members didn't satisfy me. So it took a lot of courage to go against the grain like that. For many people, it, it ends up being later in life that they start questioning these things, or they have a trauma, and then they want answers. But for exactly. you, as a young person, um, it, it, it was a, definitely a gift, but also it didn't make your life easy. No, it didn't. It didn't. And, you know, nowadays, if... A, you know, a teenager wants to get onto a spiritual path, There's, there are people everywhere who, you know, obviously maybe not in your own family, but you can go online or you can read a book or you can get onto one of these teleseminars. But when I was growing up, the only book that was out there was um, Be Here Now by Ram Dass. I remember. I, I read that. that. It was almost like... <laughs> <laughs> I read that. And yeah, it, it, was, it was exciting to read that. Yes, and and there wasn't, as you say, there wasn't a lot of information about that. And now, yes, we're blessed with a lot of information like this. But at the time, you really had to blaze a trail. And you even lived in an ashram in India. You bicycled through Pakistan. You were in a Zen monastery. Tell us a little bit about that and then what it was like to come back into the so-called real world after those experiences. (laughs) I don't know if I'm even in the real world. I tell you, my world's (laughs) a little different than most people's. But I can... I went to college. I did join the military. I went to college. I I got out of college, and I became a real estate agent. I I had some longings before all that, of course, as a younger person, and went to college and learned to meditate there. But again, I was I was in real estate. I was doing very well for you know in my early twenties, and I thought about you know why am I here again it, that question would always arise what am I doing here I have everything that you could want at this age and it was so miserable so I I was kind of walking around with that question and I urge your listeners to think about what question they're walking around with you know what is the question you're walking around with because the answer will meet your question and for me that happened I was reading um, you know the Sunday paper a book review and I read about a man who you've all heard of now, but was it was a very unusual name at the time, Deepak Chopra, and he had been writing this book about what was called Ayurveda, which is the science of life and longevity, words I was not familiar with. And I, the minute I started reading this article about his book, I knew that was my next step. And so it, within, I'd have to say, within a period of about six months, I was working for him. Um, it was kind of a circuitous route that I ended up doing that, but within six months of reading that book review, I had moved to Lancaster, Massachusetts, and began working for him as a volunteer at this health center. And I uh, went from answering the phones to becoming one of the directors of his new center 
uh, in California and became one of the first teachers for him. I worked with him for a total of eight years and sometimes continue to teach for him. But what happened was really after that experience, because initially in Massachusetts, the organization that he worked with was run by the Transcendental Meditation Organization. It was literally like a meditation community where we worked and ate and meditated and lived all in the same place. He had his own home nearby, but this was my lifestyle. It was a, a community living. And i had had that experience once before in the military, but this was a little different. And after... After that immersion into meditation, immersion into mind-body health, immersion into self-awareness, after that moving out to California, after about a year, eight years, I looked around and I said, okay, I'm ready for something else. And that's when I had the idea to go to India. I didn't at the moment have a plan to move into an ashram, but within, gosh, within a, a week or two after having that decision to, that I was going to really immerse myself into these ancient, this ancient wisdom, I ended up going there and, and immediately knew I was supposed to go live in this ashram. So I did that for six months. Well, actually a little less than six months because I ended up doing some traveling and one of my travels took me up to northern uh, India where the Dalai Lama is, well, his residence is there and where he spent much of his time when he first came out of, came to exile out of his country. And that's where a lot of his nuns are and his monks are and that's where his, his his teachers are so i spent a lot of time up there and then became a teacher for the nuns that that were working for him he was wanting them all to learn english so i was immersed into that culture and learning that and then when i came home it was such a culture shock at the time india is a lot different now but at the time they didn't allow any imports this is how India got to be very strong. They used to make everything they needed in their own country. So they never imported shoes or hair care products or face creams or clothing or anything, telephones, nothing. They made everything in their own country. Now it's a lot different. But when I came back to the U.S. with, you know, the choices we have and the variety available to us, it was almost, it was almost like a clash of, of two worlds, the world of, meditation, the world of contemplation, the world of simplicity meets this world of commerce and the currency that we use of, you know, of the dollar and this world of abundance and this world of, of waste. And it was, a, it was a real existential moment for me, a real, a real moment of, of clarity. And I said, I can't move back into this life. I have to make another choice. And so I had really lived in such a simple way for so long that I decided it would be very easy for me to move into this Zen Buddhist monastery. It was a monastery out in California that was off the grid. It's up in Idlewild and in a tiny town called Mountain Center. And I used to go there on my weekends off from the Chopra Center or my weekdays off. I would just go for the weekend or week, a couple of days to the monastery, which... Maybe it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to your listeners, but for me, <laughs> that's what I did with, for vacation. So it was a real easy transition for me. And, and life in the Zen Buddhist tradition, or the monastic tradition, is very simple as well. It's very rhythmic. It's a community, again, based on 
awareness based on meditation, based on waking up to our true nature. And it was a wonderful experience for me for two years. And speaking of the Chopra Center, so you had all of this rich experience to bring to what you teach today. And speaking of the Chopra Center, which is in San Diego, near where I live, a beautiful center, um, you say in some of your, and I believe it was on your CD in the special offer package, that Deepak Chopra had said that one of the most important, or the most important thing that he learned is meditation. And he's an Ayurvedic doctor, a healer, um, and, and he said that that was the number one important thing. Right? That's right. Because meditation, you know, it, it seems like you're just sitting around doing nothing or you're having an exercise in frustration to clear your mind, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the benefits of meditation are so far-reaching and so profound that they touch every area of your life, whether you're trying to become more creative or more focused or trying to attract uh, a good partner or make more money or to discover your passion in life or to get better health or to learn about spirituality or to understand yourself or to become more aware of the magnificence of this creation or the interconnectedness of all life. I mean, even to become more aware of your own mental habits and your own reactivity towards things, meditation can really shift everything, and not because of the experiences, so-called mystical experiences or aha moments that you have in meditation, but instead, meditation works by, and this is what I learned at the Chopra Center very in the very beginning, you know, when people would come to, uh, to come for a week and become healthier, what I learned is meditation helps to relieve stress. Now, we've all heard that, but how does it work? As the mind settles down in meditation, the body follows because of the mind-body connection. As the mind and body settle down, it becomes more uh, of a nourishing experience, a more purifying experience for the physiology. And as the physiology becomes more rested and purified, it actually releases the stress. Now, I look at stress a lot like a veil. You know, we don't know necessarily where the stress comes from. We don't know how to get rid of it all the time. But it tends to mask our expression of ourselves. It masks how we see the world. And it also inhibits that mind-body connection. So meditation lifts this shroud that keeps us from living our full life and from experiencing life as miraculous as it is. So meditation is, that's what I first learned working with Deepak, and I didn't really understand the depth of that reality, but now that I do know it, you know, I see how when we get more clear, when we, be, when we become more aware of where we're focusing our attention, how we're focusing our attention, what choices we're making, how we choose to express ourselves, how we choose to, um, to walk through the world, when we become more clear about that, you know, life becomes much more fulfilling and we become more creative and we are happier. So meditation is so, it's so profound and it, it really works because it affects us on a very subtle level. And if we just take a look at, at subtlety and how powerful it is, you know, it's not like we move the furniture around the room and we see a big change. But instead, 
think about think about subtleties in your own body. What's the most subtle thing? You know, your atoms, your DNA, your soul. You know, subtleties, when we make changes on the level of, let's say, your DNA, we can create some big effects in the physiology and your whole being. If we made some, if you made some changes in your physiology, like you got your hair cut or you broke an arm, you wouldn't have as great a, a transformation as you would if you go into more subtle levels. So meditation really addresses the source of some of our problems, the source of stress, the source of of healing, so that we can have a huge change. It's like really dealing with life at the fulcrum of creation. Or really getting to our spiritual blueprint, which is the beginning of everything that happens to us, which later translates into the physical issue. Exactly. Exactly. It's a blueprint. That's subtle, right? I mean... A blueprint is 2D. You can't really, it's not a home. But you can make subtle changes to the blueprint, and it'll affect everything. You know, and we have to constantly be alert to our choices and how we're going, walking through the world or navigating our lives and continually correct or make adjustments. And that's not a wrong thing. You know, some people are in that search for balance in their lives or the perfect day or the perfect experience and they set their, they set up their daily routine and you know sometimes it's it's not quite as linear as that and you know even when you look at like the space shuttle you know they say that 99% of the time it's off course but they keep making these little adjustments so that it ends up on course and that's really what can can be like for many of us is is we're off course a lot of the time but we can make these little adjustments to to go where we want to go would you say and meditation one, helps with that? Would you say one of the main benefits is um, learning to be in the present moment? One of the most challenging things for us to do. Absolutely, you know, meditation trains your attention in three ways. I'd say, or more, but one way is let's just say you're focusing on your breath, or a candle flame, or a mantra. As you continue to focus on that, every time your attention drifts away, which it will. We have about twelve to 60,000 thoughts a day. So your attention is naturally going to drift away from the focus. It's just what happens. It's a practice. So you bring it back and focus on your, on your focus of your meditation, and you're training your attention. Now, that focus is always going to be in the present moment. That's why people like to focus on body sensations and the breath, because the breath and the body are always right here, right now. And the mind is what travels. The mind takes us out of this present moment and into thoughts of the future or memories of the past. But the body and the breath and the mantra and the candle flame and the sun and the stars, everything else is right here, right now. So meditation trains you in the practice to be present so that when you come out of your meditation, you are more present for your dinner or your date or your kids or your job or your walk down the down into the wilderness. So that's one way meditation trains your attention. Another way is it helps you to focus on one thing at a time. You know, we think multitasking is very efficient and we've, we've been sort of training ourselves to become multitaskers, but there's so much research showing today that, first of all, some people say it's impossible even to multitask, so you're constantly putting pressure on yourself to switch quickly from one thing to another, and this causes a lot of stress in the nervous system. 
So when we start to focus and do one thing at a time, we literally train our attention to do that. And it sounds at first a little mundane, maybe even a little boring when I introduce it to big groups of people and say, you know, when you're driving, drive. When you're eating, eat. When you're walking, walk. You know, it sounds so dull. You need more stimulus than that, but you start to appreciate that. You start to appreciate it, and it actually trains your attention. And the other way it trains your attention is by turning your attention inward. And if you look at the way your body's designed, it's designed to to digest and interact with your senses and the elements. So you're, you're, the elements are all out there, and we're navigating our lives with our sense of smell and sight and taste and touch and sound and externally focusing that on that. But with meditation, our inward experience is more lively, and this creates a kind of a muscle for, you know, term. When you close your eyes to meditate, and long-term meditators know this, it's very, very easy to go inward, where in the very beginning, it's not so easy because most of us don't go into that inner realm unless we're trying to fall asleep. Right, and you also say we so can... Those re- are the ways that we train our attention. One thing at a time, having our attention go inward, and being able to be right here, right now. Because this is where your life is. It's right here, right now. Everything else is just an idea. Sarah, I've been meditating about 10 years, on and off, sometimes more consistently than others, and in the past few years pretty consistently. I actually got the idea for this show... In meditation, so I've really, really um, had tremendous benefits from it, and um, I find it, it 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 led me to a lot of answers in my own life. It was incredible. So I well, I ha- well, have seen the power of it working in my own life. So I love how you said it led you to answers, and meditation will do that. It will it will lead you to answers. A lot of people have the expectation that they're supposed to have an answer in meditation, and I have the experience of it being more rare um, than normal to get the answers in meditation. I get my answers as I walk through the world, but I definitely pose a lot of questions to myself in meditation. So can I ask you, um, or just tell your listeners, that, you know, in meditation, there's only three things required. There's your attention, what you're listening to me with, what you're listening to Gene with, and there's a focus for your attention. We talked about it earlier. You could focus on a mantra, something you say or something you hear or something you think. You could focus on something you see, whether it be a, uh, a beautiful star or the horizon line or a flower or a mandala or a candle flame or something you see in your mind's eye. Or it can also be something you feel, as in the subtle feeling of your breath, or the subtle feeling of how your body's sitting in the chair, or it can be more active, how you're moving through space, as in yoga or in a Sufi dance or a walking meditation. Those are the three senses, what you see, what you feel, and what you hear that most people use in meditation, although there are some meditations that use the sense of taste. And then the other element for meditation, besides your attention and a focus, is your willingness to do it. And that sounds easy because we all want to do it, but oftentimes we will be met with discomfort or a good idea 
or some frustration or um, some sort of impulse or compulsive thought. And so sticking with it and having the willingness to, to sit through a meditation practice as things arise, arise that way we, dis- we create um, a really strong nervous system. Right, so, so we that's- have incredible physical oh. benefits and emotional and uh, in every aspect of our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in my book, I wrote this book called Soul Centered, and I love it because people have been taking this book, and there are study groups popping up all over the place, including on Facebook. And um, one of what they're doing is they're going through every single week. But I start the book off with the five essentials to meditation, and I could tell you about them now, and maybe then we could do a, a simple meditation practice so that people can get a sense of what we're talking about here. That would be um, great. But before we do that, can you tell me what do you focus on in your meditation? Sarah, so what I uh, focus on in meditation, I did learn a mantra years ago, so hum. Uh, I use that. There are times when I don't use a mantra meditation and I visualize when I want to set an intention. Um, sometimes I just focus on my breath. So I have um, a few different methods I use. W- what do you recommend for people to do? Well, I love, I love that you use all of those methods. I think they're all valuable. And, I, and I, my advice for a new meditator is to really get that attention trained because I know it, the tendency is to wander. If you have four or five different techniques, you want to change it up in the middle to kind of keep yourself entertained. And, in fact, I like to recommend using the breath with a mantra. I do something similar to the Sohung mantra um, when I teach my students here, because I really find that having the attention be on the sensation of the breath at the same time as a silent mantra, it helps to keep the attention and the, and the focus in the present moment, as well as giving your ever-busy mind something to do. Um, when we use a mantra, ten, it tends to interrupt the constant monologue or conversation that you're having with yourself so that you go to subtler levels of the thinking process and ultimately move beyond thought into simply just being. And you can't get there by thinking about it, but you can get there by naturally interrupting the the thoughts you're having and going to those subtler levels. So it's a great practice. And, of course, visualization. I, I use visualization as more of a prescriptive practice, like you just said, using it to set intentions or to create a healing response, that kind of thing. So I love that. And, of course, once you've been meditating for a while, like I said, it's a muscle going inward. You just close your eyes, and you could probably just go right into meditation. Yes, and it feels it starts feeling like you're really at home when you're meditating, and that's the real core of everything as opposed to the outside distractions that we live with. Exactly, and you are home. What you're doing is you're creating a real connection with who you really are, with this essential part of you, with the one who is experiencing your life. You know, as you're listening to me, and this goes for your listeners, go ahead and turn your attention to that presence there, that one who's listening. There's an awareness there. It's so subtle, but it's, it's you. It's this part of you that is beyond your age and your marital status and the, your bank account balance. It's this presence that has just been part of you since 
you can remember. And meditation helps to strengthen this communion with your awareness and this presence so that it becomes your reference point in your life versus the external world and all of its ever-changing dynamics that if we ever do um, become attached to something externally, whether it's the weather or our jobs or, you know, anything, our looks, when we get attached to the external world, it's a really unstable place to, to sort of to navigate life by. So when we have an internal spaciousness and an internal stability, anything can happen and we're soul-centered. Right, I love that word, soul-centered, uh, the title of your book. And so that means we'll be unshaken because we are not thrown by the outer circumstances. We're strong in our knowing of our connection with the divine, our connection with everyone else, and that all is fine regardless of what's happening around us or in the economy or in the world or anything. And that's why I think now in these times it's more important than ever for a lot of people to learn a practice like meditation because that is going to be where they're going to find solace in, in, in what's going on today. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I think that we have underestimated a lot of, of these needs that we, re- what, what we really need to walk through the world with. We need to walk through the world with a strong nervous system. We need to be able to be okay regardless of the ever-changing circumstances. We need to be able to focus our attention on one thing at a time. We need to be able to be more internally aware. What's going on? How do I feel? What does my intuition tell me? What does my integrity say? And also, just to really um, know that everything is okay. And if it's not, I mean, of course, life happens and things rock our worlds. I mean, for me, too. And what I realize is I'm, because I'm so self-aware now and I know what comfort feels like and discomfort feels like, I can readily return to comfort pretty easily because I know that's my center point. And, and I believe that, you know, we often look at a lot of this as pathologies. We don't even pay attention to attention itself. We look at problems with attention, you know, ADD or ADHD or distraction, driving dr- distracted. You know, we don't even realize the, the power we have and what we actually need to, to be successful in this life. So, right. that, oh, go ahead. Oh no, um, you go ahead and continue. What? What else? What were your thoughts on that? I, I wanted to go from here. I wanted to talk about those five essentials to meditation, so that we could then go into a meditation. But before we do, did you have something to add about what we need to navigate life with now? I mean, used to be you could navigate if you had a house and a car and a a spouse, you know, and money in the bank. It's all you needed, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I think uh, another point um, along the same lines of what you were saying is that once you do develop a practice such as meditation, which I think is really great for everyone, um, what happens is then you begin to trust. So even if the outer circumstances appear to be what we might have considered, you know, a disaster, we can look at it and really have the trust that that, is going to have a blessing of some sort, that it's going to change. We, we don't have the fear surrounding what's happening outside of us. Exactly, exactly. And, and that is something that's developed through practice of meditation because for me, I, I trusted my intuition most of my life and I trusted that there was more than what meets the eye. But 
I've learned to develop this faith that, you know, life is good and it's evolutionary and it's supporting me and my evolution. It's supporting everyone in their evolution. And, you know, this is, this is fairly new for me. I never had a real faith in anything. Um, and so it's, it develops a lot of that and develops some flexibility and develops confidence. So, so let's go into the five essentials. These are the five essentials that I wish someone had told me <laughs> before I headed off to a monastery or an ashram, trying really hard to be a good meditator. And, you know, even for those of you who just begin meditation practice, you, you sit down, you assume the position, you close your eyes, you, whatever it is for you, comfortable sitting in a chair, lighting a candle, putting on some incense, and then you, then, all of a sudden you're faced with you, you're faced with your thoughts, you're faced with this, this turbulent experience of inside your head, and it seems like, well, this is not helpful. I thought meditation was supposed to clear my mind. I thought it was supposed to make me feel better, and here I am frustrated. So I, you know, I really developed um, some guidelines because we expect that meditation is going to clear our minds, and it will, but not because you stop thinking. You don't stop thinking by thinking about it. You can't clear your mind with your will or by magic powers. So the first essential is it's okay to have thoughts. In meditation, whether the thought is your mantra or a visual that you're having an experience of, or if the thought is, I could do this all day, it feels so good, or if the thought is, what's for lunch, you know, we are always going to have thoughts. It's the nature of your mind to think. Just like it's the nature of your eye to see. So to automatically assume when you sit down and close your eyes and ready for meditation that you're not going to think, it's going to set you up for real frustration. So if you address it as it's okay, I'm having thoughts, and knowing it's just the nature of the mind, and refocusing when you realize you're having a thought back to the focus of your meditation, then you're able to create a stronger, attentive muscle. So we we realize that we'll always have thoughts in meditation. It doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. It doesn't even mean we're not going deeply. As a matter of fact, when the mind starts to settle down and the body starts to settle down in meditation, which it will, what happens is we start to purify. I mentioned this earlier. As we begin to purify the toxicity or the stress out of the nervous system, lifting that veil... As that starts to happen, it starts to stimulate activity because it could stimulate physical activity or mental activity or even some emotional movement. And this activity is is simply a reflection of what's happening in terms of stress relief. So we don't let that interrupt the practice. We just have the experience of it, and then when we have a moment of, oh, gosh, I'm supposed to pay attention to my focus, whether whatever it may be, you simply refocus without a lot of judgment. So the second essential is be nice to yourself. Do not judge your meditation by the experiences you're having in meditation. Don't treat yourself poorly. Don't beat yourself up because you're losing focus. Instead, treat yourself well. They say that how you treat yourself in meditation is how you treat yourself in your life, and you might as well 
exercise that muscle of being compassionate with yourself. It's happening anyway. Part of the brain that's actually changing in meditation, a lot of neuroscience these days, but part of the brain is the, the left prefrontal cortex, which is getting larger. It's the compassion area of the brain, and it's self-compassion that's also getting developed. So we want to be sweet to ourselves in meditation. We don't want to beat ourselves up. We want to appreciate our effort as we sit there and, and do the practice. And the third is not to try too hard. And I said what you need in meditation is your attention, and the attention I'm talking about is a very gentle focus. It's a very gentle attention. And you don't have to try hard to do it. Concentration actually will will um, start to create some stress. And trying is not even a real thing. Trying, you know, is not happening. What, what does Yoda say? No try, only do in Star Wars. <laughs> we want to refocus easily. So here, I'm going to give you an example right now. Uh, put your attention on your right hand. And then shift your attention onto your left hand. And then refocus onto the right hand. Very simple, very easy to do this. Not a lot of effort involved. So this is the same type of easy attention you use in meditation. Doesn't take a special, you know, special concentration or force. Just a gentle awareness. And so we don't try too hard. We do it with a gentle attention. I always say it's almost like you're leaning back, not Literally, but figuratively, you're leaning back and, and surrendering to the practice. And every time you notice your attention drifting away to an idea or color or physical sensation, you bring your attention back to the focus of your meditation, almost like you're training a puppy. When a puppy is on training it to be on the paper and it runs off and it's curious about this or that, just like your mind, you just gently bring it back. You don't yell at it. You don't hurt it, you simply bring it back, and eventually it realizes it's supposed to stay on the paper. And that's what we're doing here. We're training our puppy mind. So it's very <laughs> simple that way. Now, another essential that's important to, to address meditation with is to maintain a beginner's mind, to have no expectations about your practice. Um, it's just like going to sleep. You know, we, we want to have a good night's sleep. We want to have an easy night to go to sleep. But, you know, we basically just trust the process. And meditation's the same way. We want to maintain a beginner's mind. We don't want to have, look for a certain experience to happen. We don't want to judge our experiences in meditation. Instead, we want to realize that the experiences we have in meditation are really evolutionary, whether it's to release stress or if we are falling asleep or if we're having an aha moment or if we're feeling like we're transcending, all of these are nourishing and evolutionary experiences, and we don't want to judge them with our own intellect. We just want to trust the process. And as long as we're doing it without effort, without beating ourselves up, without giving up, without labeling good or bad, we end up having a good meditation. Also, oftentimes people judge their meditation by the experiences they have in meditation. And more often than not, I say, judge your meditation by how your life is going. Do you feel good? 
Are you speaking your mind? Are you making choices that are in alignment with your values? Are you um, saying what you mean? Are you feeling passionate about your life? Are you feeling good and creative and inspired? That's how you know meditation is working. And so the last essential that I like to tell people about is, is not to give up. Stick with your practice. And this is always probably the biggest challenge. And most people think I'm talking about, you know, like sticking with it every day. And, of course, I am. That's a given. But more importantly, we had addressed this earlier, but if you can stick with the rough spots of your meditation, whether you've got an emotional release or your foot falls asleep or you have an, uh, an amazing idea or you remembered you're supposed to email somebody back, you have to sit through those impulses and compulsions because as you do that you become less of a slave to your mind to your thoughts and you become more of a witness to that ever desirous mind of yours and so instead you sit and you say thank you for sharing i know i have to email that person back i'll get to it after the meditation's over many of us really are at the mercy of our thoughts. Now, long-distance runners know better than to um, to do that. Long-distance runners would say, you know, if they hear a thought, oh, let's not do this today, let's do it tomorrow, it'll be better, the weather will be better, I'll have better energy. They say thank you for sharing, and they stick with their practice. They stick with their training. And meditation is the same way. You know, the mind wants to get control of them, the ego Using the mind wants you to stop right there, and you just go, no, I'm, I'm in the middle of this. And just like a runner, if you get through the difficult spots in meditation, you feel better. You get that meditator's high, just like the runner's high. So those are my five essentials. I wish someone had told me before I sat down and spent eight hours a day at this monastery. <laughs> <laughs> that, is so, that is so helpful. But of course, the biggest thing is everyone thinks they're supposed to stop their thoughts, which you've explained we don't have to do. What about falling asleep? Even if, even if a person is sitting up, what happens if they fall asleep? Is, is there something we can do to not fall asleep, or do we get less benefit if we fall asleep? Well, I love that question. I'm glad you asked it now. Many people feel like they close their eyes, and they start their mantra or pay attention to their breath and immediately nod off. And that could be true for many people. Um, but as I said, what happens in meditation is very evolutionary. And many of us are sleep deprived. So sleep is definitely the number one way we reduce stress. So your body's looking for the best way to nourish itself. But let's say that you feel like you're falling asleep and you're not. Some people would say, well, their head bobs up and down when they meditate. And I call that the new meditator's nod. The new meditator is not used to sitting up and being at such a deep level of rest and still being alert without thoughts. It feels like sleep, but it's something else much of the time. Most of us are living within three states of consciousness. We're either awake, we're asleep, or we're dreaming. Um, and when you introduce meditation, you're introducing another state of consciousness where you're at a very deep rested state. Your brain waves are reflecting the same kind of brain waves as you would in sleep, but yet you're still awake, although you're not aware of anything. You're not aware of no thing, but you're still alert. If I walked into the room and you felt like you were asleep, but you were simply sitting up, and I said, Gene, you would hear me. 
And so this state of consciousness is what Deepak Chopra would call the Atma Darshan. Atma means soul. Darshan means direct experience. It can also be called glimpsing the soul or transcendental consciousness. Now, the word transcend, as you've all heard about it in transcendental meditation and, and transcending this or that, transcendence is something that every single one of us does every single night. When we go to sleep, we transcend our environment. We're no longer aware of it. We transcend our age. We transcend our name. We transcend our relationships. We transcend our job. We transcend everything. The awareness of these things does not exist. So in meditation, the same occurrence happens. We transcend. We go beyond the state of consciousness where the active mind is aware of things. And it's so unusual to be awake but yet unaware of any one thing that it feels like sleep. But I can guarantee most people are not asleep. But it's important to be sitting up because we've been training our attention to fall asleep or training ourselves to fall asleep when we're lying down and relaxing. Right. So that's why it's essential to sit up in meditation. Right. Okay, so now we know uh, what the misconceptions are and we know some steps to follow for a successful meditation. So, Sarah, if you're ready, maybe you can introduce us to the meditation you're going to share with us today. I will. I'm just going to do something very simple. We'll spend about 10 minutes or so, which may sound like a lot for new people, but it's not that much. I'm going to talk through a lot of it. I'm going to talk you through a body relaxation, a breath awareness, and I'm also going to take you into a heart breath practice, which is a wonderful way to to connect with your own heart. And then I'll have you ask yourselves some question, a self-inquiry practice. Now, remember we started off the show by saying, what question do you walk around with? What question are you walking through the world with? And I'll, I'll introduce a few questions for you. And this is a practice of simply asking, not necessarily answering the questions. And it's important to get into that and not having the intellect kicked in and, and try to override what the heart or the soul may want. So we'll do a little of that, and then we'll just go right back to the breath, and I will keep track of the time for you. And remember, don't try too hard. Be nice to yourself. Don't give up. You'll want to sit in a comfortable chair. You'll want to turn off any music or any kind of radio besides this in your room. You'll want to turn your cell phone off. And you want to get comfortable as much as you can. Don't, sit, don't lie down, but sitting up somewhere comfortable. You don't have to have your legs in a cross-legged position or your hands in a certain mudra, but simply just get comfortable, and, and I'll keep track of the time. Now, you can close your eyes, or some people, as in the monastery, like to keep their eyes sort of gazing towards the floor about two or three feet in front of you, with barely open with a soft gaze, and this is up to you. Most people find that difficult. So I would say, close your eyes, and I would also say to sit relatively still. If you have an itch, you can scratch it. If you feel like you need to move, you can move. But notice when you're distracting yourself. So let's begin with a deep breath through your nose. Letting it out and giving yourself another deep breath through your nose. And letting it out. 
and letting your breath return to its natural rhythm and depth. And throughout this practice, you'll be breathing through your nose and letting your breath be natural. There's no need to regulate or control anything. This is more about leaning back, receiving the moments, receiving this meditation. So with your eyes closed, you might begin to notice that you're a little more aware of your environment, the sounds in it. So take a moment now and notice the sounds that are close to you. Notice the sound of your own breath or your heartbeat. Maybe the computer is buzzing in the background or the refrigerator. Maybe you notice the sounds of other people in the other room. Or traffic outside or... Whatever you notice, just welcome what you hear. Sound is never a barrier to meditation. Just welcome what we hear. Keeping the body relaxed. Also with your eyes closed, you might begin to notice that You're a little more aware of how your body is feeling as you sit in the chair or in the sofa. So what I like to do is begin a body scan. And you can do this with your awareness. You can follow along with me. But as we do this, I want you to consider that your attention, your attention, that gentle attention we talked about, is love. And you're going to love your body as you move from head to toe with your awareness. And if you run into any area of discomfort or dis-ease, I want you to simply rest your attention, rest your loving attention on that area without avoiding it, without trying to fix it, but just keeping it company with that loving presence. So begin by relaxing your forehead and your scalp. Relax your eyes and that beautiful face. You can tuck your chin in just a little bit and allow the back of your neck to lengthen slightly. And move your shoulders down, away from your ears, and let your arms hang comfortably from there. Hands relaxed. Fingers relaxed. You can relax your upper back, your mid-back. You might even feel the support of the chair behind you, supporting your low back and your hips. Relax and sink back as you sit up and relax your belly. Relax your right leg from hip to toes. Your left leg from hip to toes. 
scanning your body once more with your awareness, letting your attention move towards areas you generally avoid, letting your awareness be non-judgmental and loving. Your body is always right here, right now, and it's your best friend, your humble servant. Your breath, too, is always right here, right now. So let your attention rest on your breath as you breathe naturally through your nose if you can. Feel the cool air as you inhale, the warmer air as you exhale. Feel your body expand and contract with each breath. And whenever you notice your attention drifting away, just let that breath charm you right back here, right back to this moment. You may even want to silently repeat the mantra in as you breathe in and out as you breathe out to give that busy mind something to focus on. The breath might get faster or slower or deeper or shallower. It might even stop for an instant or two. Continue to pay attention to it, being aware as you breathe in, being aware as you breathe out. You can drop your attention to the center of your chest and feel that gentle rise and fall with each natural breath. If you like, you can even imagine your heart is breathing, that the breath is moving in and out in front of you. By simply putting your attention in the center of the chest, in your heart center, you enliven the qualities of your heart, which has more electricity and magnetism than your brain. You can enliven the qualities of compassion, receptivity, Inclusivity, love, wisdom, presence. Every time your attention drifts away, just bring it right back to the sensation of the breath and the chest rising and falling. And with your attention here, I want you to silently ask yourself a question. Remember, the importance here is asking, not answering. So with your eyes closed, your attention still in the heart center, you can ask yourself the question, Who am I? Ask yourself, Who am I? Who is the one sitting here? 
simply ask and listen. You can let go of that question and introduce another one, keeping your attention still in the heart center. Silently asking yourself the question, what is my heart's desire? What do I really, really want in this life? Simply being with that question and asking silently, attention on the heart. And you can let go of that question. And the last question of this self-inquiry practice is, how can I best love myself? How can I best love myself? Simply ask. It might be difficult for some of you. Simply ask with your attention on your heart center. And you can let go of that question. And return your attention back to the breath. Back to the way the cool air moves in, in through your nostrils. And the warmer air moves out of the nostrils. You can also pay attention to that pause between each breath. Taking a few of these mindful breaths. Keeping your attention right here, right now. Training your attention to be right here, right now. keeping your eyes closed, take your attention off the breath and simply sit in the silence, enjoying your own company for a minute.
keeping your eyes closed. You can give yourself some deeper breaths. Stretch a little, wiggle your fingers and your toes. It's always important to come out of meditation slowly, even if you don't believe anything happened or it was very deep. And when you are ready to come out of meditation, do so first with a downward gaze, keeping your eyes kind of slowly opening. There's no rush. When you're fully ready to engage back into your waking state, you can open your eyes all the way, but always take your time. Always, always take your time coming out of meditation. I can't stress that enough. So regardless of the experiences you had, I like to go over the experience just for a moment so that you know how to do this on your own. This is a very abbreviated meditation. I generally recommend you do it for 20 to 30 minutes, once or twice a day, Um, ideally 20 minutes twice a day. And you don't have to use all of what we did. I just do that to introduce you to a number of different techniques. But the breath awareness, the body scan, the heart-centered breath, and the self-inquiry practice can all be used with your eyes open or closed. It can all be used whether you're sitting in meditation or walking through the world. So these are multi-purpose meditations. And Jean, how are you doing? Fantastic. That was so beautiful. I love, uh-huh. I love the questions. Who am I? What is my desire? And I love yes. the, the bell sound. That is so beautiful. Thank you. I'm Thank feeling you. very peaceful and... Um, you're a great meditation teacher, obviously, so thank you for that. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I had to I teach what I need to learn. I think that's really <laughs> it, and it keeps me in this conversation. You know, I'm always, I'm always talking about meditation, you know, in some way, shape, or form. I'm writing about it. I'm on a television show or a conference call or teaching in person, and, you know, I learn every time. I learn a, a little more about meditation, and, you know, even if... For those of you who are listening, you don't feel like anything happened or you didn't hear an answer. I can be in a room of 300 people and only about, gosh, maybe about 40 people hear a response in meditation to those questions. Those questions are simply to be asked so that you are walking through the world with that, who am I? Instead of assuming you already know, how about you just keep an open mind? How about... Instead of knowing what you think you want, how about asking yourself? And how about asking, how can I best love myself? Because how you love you is how you can love the rest of the world. And, you know, these are really easy questions, but they are profound. And the answers can change, and they may not come today or tomorrow, and they may come, you know, in a year from now. So... Right. As you, as you said, it's subtle. It, it doesn't come in with a big boom that moment that you ask the question, but it unfolds over time. Exactly. Exactly. So I love it. So did you, did you notice a, sort of a silence creeping in? Yes. You mean? Uh, Into the meditation. I mean, at first maybe it took a moment to settle in and then, and then the silence started to take over. Yes, absolutely. There was one pause, one silent stretch there that was was really powerful. 
And I like the way you guide people into that and, and get them comfortable with it if they don't have this experience. I also want to let people know that you have an incredible special offer that's 76% off for the Wisdom Show listeners only. Um, if you want to follow along and find it right now, it's at thewisdomshow.com forward slash special dash offers thewisdomshow.com forward slash special dash offers you'll see sarah's picture and the special offer button and sarah people can actually go further into this with you and really learn uh, to meditate and start up a, a daily practice with you online so can you tell us a little bit about what they'll receive in this package sure well you know i've i've never put one of these together before so i have a other people do it for me, but this was this was fun for me. And, and um, basically, I have my book here, which is called Soul Centered, and I'm going to sign the book for you, whoever orders it. Um, I'll sign it for you and send it to you. Also, there's a companion course for the book, which is an hour every for every single chapter of the book where I lead you into a meditation like this. And it's because each, each week has really got a different focus. The first week is about awareness. The second week is about reducing stress and creating peace. The third week is about creating a beginner's mind. The fourth week is about loving yourself. The fifth week is about becoming more intimate with your real true nature. And then there goes on to authenticity and to receptivity and into nourishment. And so each week of this companion course really helps to, to hone, create a different practice for you because a lot, there are over 20 meditations in this book, which I love. And a lot of people like to be guided. And also there is something that I've just developed called the Simple Easy Everyday Meditation Program, which is a program that includes what we just did with a few other techniques. There's a walking meditation, there's a mantra meditation, and there's also a couple of other body awareness practices in there. And those are, those are part of this. It's an online program that's self-paced, and it normally it has been selling for $179. When I teach in Sedona to come to see me in a group, it's $165. So this is everything that's in that program including the Peace Finder practices and lots of um, more information about the heart, center, breath, everything we just did. And so that's part of the program. And then, of course, I have my meditation CD, which is on Amazon has really good reviews. Everybody loves it. And um, I would say don't listen to it while you drive. But you can listen to the CD. It has instruction on the keys to successful meditations. Why should you meditate? There's a simple mantra meditation in there. There's a healing meditation in there that we developed at the Chopra Center. There is obviously a mantra meditation. Also, there's a gratitude meditation, which is fabulous. So all of this stuff adds up to over $385, I believe. And right now, it's, we're doing it for $87. So that is an incredible offer, and you've experienced how great Sarah is at teaching. So I'd encourage everyone to take advantage of this and maybe even form those groups that Sarah mentioned uh, people are forming, meditation groups. What a great idea for the new year. So, Sarah, I really want to thank you for sharing this lifetime of wisdom with us today, helping us create a, a better new year with meditation. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to do that with everyone. I hope you had a good experience. And 
you know, you can always, if you're in Sedona, come visit me. I'm opening up a new meditation studio. Um, you can visit SedonaMeditation.com and check it out. I'm, I'm really excited about it. You'll have to come, Jean. Absolutely. I will see you there. That's on my, that's on my bucket list. I'll be there. <laughs> Great. It's so beautiful here. Yes, I, I can't wait, Sarah. Looking forward to meet you. And thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Live wisely. Stay inspired. And we look forward to our time together next time on The Wisdom Show. for joining us. Be sure to visit us at thewisdomshow.com for access to archives of previous shows and special discount packages offered by our world-renowned experts. Thanks to internetaudiohub.com for our state-of-the-art broadcast sound. Internetaudiohub.com is available for all of your internet audio needs. We look forward to joining you next time on The Wisdom Show. The Wisdom Show.